Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 13 says this. <coughs> the festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and the temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for an opportunity to betray him to them so that the, when the crowd was not present. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Uh, where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Then tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my, with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Lord Jesus, I pray that you give us grace to understand, grace to see and to experience what you want us to have uh, from this passage. Lord, the, the things that uh, Satan was preparing, the things that you are preparing, and Lord, how you are desiring and showing us and telling us to prepare today in our lives um, and in, in our faith as we love you and as we enjoy you. Lord, we pray that your, your Holy Spirit would come upon us so that we may understand and see and perceive the things that you want us to hear and see from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Preparation. Not preparation H. <laughs> Many things in our life require preparation. They require to, for us to prepare for things. I mean, think about it. Like, like this picture. This guy was prepared. He's even got duct tape right there on the side of his pack. That is a terrible packing job. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, just, I just noticed that. <laughs> All the things on there, I'm like, that's a terrible job. Um, so, you know, camping or backpacking. You know, a lot of times, you know, that's why we got our little, our little camper you know, for a couple thousand dollars when, it, when we sold the horse trailer was so that we could pack, you know, pack everything in the, in the camper, all of our food and have the refrigerator going and have all of our hot dogs and, and s'more stuff and sleeping bags and everything so we could just like decide to go and like go. We didn't have to like spend hours and hours preparing and then hours and hours unpreparing or, you know, de decompressing or, you know, unpacking our car and stuff like that, of all the camping stuff, or, or just let it sit for weeks like we used to. That's um, <laughs> like, hey, we'll do it again. We'll just leave it in, leave it in the car. But uh, your trips or events, you know, your, your preparation, you guys prepared for your road trip for, you know, for a while. You're preparing different things, like making sure that everything was good at home. Make sure you remember to turn the coffee maker off or turn the, turn the AC off or you know, this and that. Turn all the lights off. Lock the doors. We prepare for events. That's why there's an entire job description of an event planner, basically an event preparer, someone who plans the event and then makes sure that everything is prepared day of. Think about it. Our worship day, we prepare. Noel prepared for this morning. They came and practiced before. Preparation is key for successes for worship and events and camping. Just think about it. Even every single day, we prepare. Every day we get up in the morning, what's the very first most important thing in the life of a Christian? Coffee. Coffee. 
and Bible. <laughs> that was the first word I had here. Coffee! The very first thing that Emberlyn waits and sleeps in until she smells from upstairs that I've prepared and, and gotten done so she can get out of bed is the coffee. <laughs> and then she comes downstairs and we read our Bibles together. Preparing the day with prayer. Preparing for the day with our calendar, sitting down with our calendar. Okay, what is on the calendar? What's on the docket for today? How can I prepare my mind for my schedule so I don't forget something or miss something? Look at my email. Look at my so- look at social media. What's going on? Is something crazy happened? Uh, workout. We might work out in the mornings. Now that we're kind of switching up our, our schedules, I get to work out in the mornings. Woo! Because we're going to do our Bibles at night. Holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays, if you, if, you know, Sukkot, or Passover, um, Hanukkah, these things take plans. We plan for our lives. We plan for our life. Because if we don't plan for our life, if you, what was the old, the old adage? If you don't um, plan for, what is it? If you don't, if you fail to make a plan, you plan for failure. You plan to fail. If you don't, if you fail to plan, you you plan to fail, right? And so there are times where you know just go and have a have a fun sporadic time, just you know, spontaneous, not sporadic, kind of same thing I guess, but spontaneous time, right? Uh, like one of our favorite things to do in Yellowstone is go and like flip a coin, and if we're going to turn right or left, or if we're going to go and stop for an attraction or not, and keep going. You know, they can, like these spontaneous things, but also like, but just there's plans that go in our lives. But what does the Lord say about our plans? Give them to me. You know, the, the, uh, you know, the heart of man makes many plans, but everything happens because of the Lord. Right? Paul, you know, Paul even said, you know, um, you who say, I will go to this town, to this city and trade and do, do business for a year or so. You, rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, I will go. Like basically, like we give the Lord our plans. It's not that we don't plan. We don't, it's not that we don't plan. We make a plan and give it to the Lord. Kind of, you know, I, there was an you know, uh, intern of mine back in, back in the day when I was a youth pastor, and uh, whenever he would go to speak, he, would ju- he wouldn't prepare anything. He would say, well, whatever the Holy Spirit wants me to preach, I'll just, I'll just bring to my mind. It was the worst teachings I've ever, I'd ever heard. <laughs> because he didn't even have anything. He didn't, he didn't give his plans to the Lord. There's, there's something to be said about the Holy Spirit coming on a Sunday morning and speaking. They have through what? What I've given him. I, if I believe that God can work on an hour on a Sunday morning, I believe that he can work with 20 hours to create something good and still speak you know, spontaneously morning of. As long as I give him my plans. Here's my plan, Lord. Here, here is my plan, Lord. Right? I give it to you. You speak through it. Preparing to um, uh, is you know the, for what you want to enjoy. Oftentimes, so like you you think about food. You plan for food. You plan for coffee. You plan for um, you know the table. How big should the table be? Um, for the you bring you bring the camera. You bring the tent. You bring the sleeping bags. Like things you want and things that you need. But also you prepare for what you don't want. Think about it. You don't want to be left bleeding in the middle of the woods, so you bring a what? A first aid kit. You bring mosquito spray to not be eaten alive. You bring sunscreen so you don't get sunburned. 
You bring a water filter so you don't get, you know, the, the yeah, stomach stuff, you know. The, yeah, the sign that you're driving north from Gardner, you, you see that, like a <laughs> sick couple. You don't want to get eaten by a bear, right? So you bring bear spray and a gun. So the, so we see this, this juxtaposition between two different sets of people that are preparing, that are plotting, that are planning. And one is giving their, their plans to the Lord and the other one is making them apart from the Lord. Um, so we are all constantly preparing to get ready for something in life. A trip, dinner, retirement. Some of you are getting pl- ready for retirement, making a plan. Some of you are getting ready for the apocalypse, making a planner, pre- you know, pre- preparing some are getting ready or are preparing or always in a perpetual state of, pre- of preparation for disappointment. Seems like every t- everything in life, you're preparing yourself, you're, you're padding yourself to be disappointed. Or you're just simply planning for the mundane everyday life. Go to work, come home, fix dinner, eat dinner, watch the TV, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, have your coffee, go to work, and just the mundane, every single, all, we, all, we, all our plan is, is just to live. And there's movie after movie after movie about this, about this philosophy of just simply existing. We exist to continue existing. So they try to take all these different things away from humanity so that it's more at peace, but all it ends up being is basically a, a, a passionless human existence, an emotionless human existence. Are we already living in that state right now? Are we planning to be disappointed so we don't plan for joy? We just plan for our everyday mundane lives, day in, day out. But are are we planning our lives for glory? Are we planning our lives? Are we preparing our lives for joy? And when I say planning, I mean cultivating. Are you cultivating because cultivating is that same thing. Like Amberlynn is, is planning to have a lot of food come, you know, August, September, October. And so we are cultivating the garden. She just planted a whole bunch of stuff and did a whole bunch of mulch. So we, we were kind of letting our grass grow a little long because so, she, she, so she, she could harvest it. So we're not mowing it. We're harvesting it. We're using it in, in our mulch. We're using it in the garden for nutrients and put nutrients back into the soil to cultivate as we prepare, that's preparing for, we're cultivating. Are you cultivating your life for joy? Are you cultivating your life for relationships, community? Are you cultivating your lives for meaning, to have meaning and purpose? Are you cultivating your life for God's kingdom purposes or your own mundane purposes? Are you preparing your life with the readiness with the gospel? Are you preparing to go and and share your faith? To proclaim the goodness of the gospel? To love people in Jesus' name? To serve people as we serve one another? Like I said, Judas and the rest of the disciples prepared for the Passover in different ways. So let's look at Judas' way. So this word, betray, is actually the word paradidomi, which means para, with or close beside, and didomi means to give away. It'd be like giving someone away my wallet. Giving away something that is close to me, something that is personal. <laughs> it's like, I'll take it. You know, 
taking, you know, taking something, you know, giving away, taking something from close to your, from your side and handing it over. This is the same word that's used by Pilate. When he handed Jesus over, he paradidomied Jesus to be scourged. He paradidomied, he handed Jesus over to be crucified. It's the same word of Judas preparing to hand over Jesus to the, fair, to the, to the chief, chief priests. Raises the question, why? If I would have had Judas right in front of me, I'd be like shaking your shoulders. Why? What were you thinking? Kind of smack him around a little bit. Kick his butt. What were you thinking? Why? Why? Why would you betray your friend? Why would you say one thing and do another? Why would you show your loyalty and then turn your back on him? Why would you engage in relationship with him continually? Receive his goodness. Receive his love. And then take his position with you by close by your side and give that up. Why did Jesus take this opportunity to give that which he was which was close to him, closest to him in exchange for silver? It wasn't even that much. The biggest question of all about Judas I have is that why? It's interesting. So there was a, I went to, grew up going to summer camp um, since about fourth grade. And I, I, when I was in high school, <laughs> I remember this vividly, in, in junior high, I think it was junior high, um, the, we had this discussion. Because we were talking about the cross, we were talking about this whole concept of betrayal. And the, 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 she split us up into two groups. And one group had to, you know, basically say why it was terrible that what Judas did. And the other side had to actually had to defend Judas. They're like, so I was on the side that had to defend Judas. Like, figure out what was going on in his head that he wasn't really doing what he we thought he was doing. What were some reasons to come up with in a debate? Which I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> but then, so think, just thinking about it. So like, um, you know, so I basically like posed it as a lawyer. Like, it wasn't his fault. Because look at the Bible. It says that Satan entered him. He didn't have a choice. That was my, that was my argument. Okay. Satan entered him. He didn't have a fault. He didn't have a choice. He, he was not his fault. When Satan left him, what did he do? He showed great remorse and he went off and killed himself because he was like, I've done this. They're just going to continue blaming me. And so I'm just going to kill myself because I'm so overwhelmed. I've lost all my relationships. What I've done is, is betrayed the Son of Man. And so there's that that argument that was made, I don't know if I actually believe it, mainly because Jesus himself said one of you is a devil. And they said, you know, even back before, he was a traitor. Like all throughout Scripture, it wasn't just this one passage um, that, that this happened. You know, this, but that's kind of outside the scope of this morning. But, you know, I, and I pray for mercy for, for Judas, honestly. Because um, I don't know, I don't know if, the, this, of the, if the disciples really even grasped what was truly going on. You know, maybe their best explanation, maybe, you know, maybe this is the best explanation, you know, their best answer that they could give, you know, because Satan entered him. Maybe that's the only thing they, were, they could use to describe it. They're like, I have no idea. The only reason that I could think to give would be that because Satan entered him. It's like, because I knew, I knew Judas, and he, the only way that he would ever have done that is if Satan had entered him. 
Which think about that. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, so they could they could be possessed. There's that too. I like to make you think. I don't really like to say like where I land on it, but I land basically that that's we have to we have to understand what the Bible says. And the Bible says he was a traitor. Says that he was he betrayed him. Said that he was a, was a devil. Um, and so, um, and we just leave the mercy deal up to God. <laughs> um, and God, cause God knows, God knows what was on the, in the heart of Judas. God knows. Um, and so, and, and maybe like the disciples were like, dude, yeah, after Jesus was raised from the dead, they're probably like, dude, what was up with, Ju- with Judas? Like what happened there? And maybe, maybe that's where Jesus told them. This is what happened. Satan entered him, but he already had something in his heart that invited Satan in. He was already in a position of hatred against me, and so he just willingly let him in. Um, little side note, because that's what I've learned about demonic possession. They cannot enter unless they're invited. Little side note there. Um, perhaps, you know, um, you know this, I mean, he was you know, anxious, wanted to force Jesus' hand. Maybe this is an act of unbelief, fed up. Either way, all the authors tell us that he is a betrayer, a traitor, and is the devil. Which leads us into an interesting character this morning. Uh, does anyone know who this guy is? Anyone? Any, anyone nerdy enough? Denethor! Yay! You cheated because I told you that this morning. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I thought I did. Anyway, so you can see Lord Denethor here. <clears throat> so he is in, what color is his chair? Black. Do you see the chair behind him? It's white. So there's a hand, there's an arm, and then the back right there, and then the, then the leg. So he is down, so that the throne is way up here, and he's way down at the foot of the, down at the foot of the stairs. He is a steward in Gondor in Lord of the Rings. The big, big city of Gondor, which is right next to Mordor, which is basically the caricature of hell. And Sauron is the caricature of Satan, Lucifer. And so, Lord Denethor is the steward in place until Gondor um, gets its king. And so the th- white, great white throne is up there, and he's down here in a black throne. Um, but, uh, and so <coughs> he's the steward of Gondor. Didn't he? So this guy is just like straight up evil. I mean, you can kind of tell he, they make him look pretty darn evil. They did a good job. All right. This guy didn't prepare for anything. This guy is, a, is, a, is an image of a poor steward, a poor leader. In essence, he took upon himself all of the rights and all of the rule of a king, all of the dignity and the power of a king, but he didn't act like a good king. He acted like a paranoid, schizophrenic person who just thought everyone was out to get him, listened to their own voices in his head, and not just the voices in his head, but there's a, uh, there was an, a thing that he had um, called the palantir. So a palantir was a giant, was a, was a big black uh, crystal ball that when you touch it, you, you basically can see uh, across the earth. It's kind of like this seeing crystal type thing. You can see it all across the earth. You can see across time, past and future. You don't know, unless you are strong enough of, of mind, you can't really control it. You're at the mercy of whoever else has another one of these crystals, because there's several of them cast all over, all over Middle Earth. And so when you touch this, 
if you're not powerful enough of mind, you are basically just susceptible to the power of another person who has another crystal. And we, and so in the story, it's the Sauron, the Satan or Lucifer image has one. And so whenever Lord Denethor would touch the crystal, all he was seeing was Sauron, Satan's interpretation of reality, of what was coming, of what was and what is and what is to come. He was hearing Satan's version of reality. And he was believing it. <coughs> and so this was how Sauron, or Satan, um, basically broadcasted his wartime propaganda to just completely make all of the, the nations, all the people who had a, a crystal ball that were listening in, to make them despair. And that's exactly what happened to Lord Denethor. Denethor gazed into the plantier and only saw what Sauron wanted him to see. The destruction of Los Giliath, the, the city down by the river. Um, Gondor itself and the rest of Middle-earth. He was seeing what Sauron wanted to do. He was seeing what Sauron was planning and preparing to do. He treated his position, like I said, like less like a steward and more like a domineering king. And so now you have this domineering king who is jealous, depressed, anxious, fearful, and eventually despaired and committed suicide. Because he was gazing in the wrong place. He wasn't preparing the city for battle. He wasn't looking to his allies and his friends and waiting for Rohan to come to the rescue. He wasn't waiting for the anticipated great king to come that was prophesied. He wasn't waiting, even though Gandalf was there, the great white wizard. He was walking in, and operating in fear because he was listening to the wrong voices. He was plugged in to the wrong sources. All because he only listened to the voices of Sauron in the Palantir. My question to hear, here this morning is, what voices are you listening to? Take an inventory of the voices that you let into your lives. That give you advice. That, that show you your perception of reality. Of the future. Of the past, present, and future. How you interpret. What, what lens? What, what lens are you believing? What lens have you put onto your, in, into, onto your soul? that you are interpreting all of reality. Especially our time right now. Especially the time right now. As the world is going nuts. Of course, the world has always been going nuts. We're just oftentimes a lot more focused on it because the lens by which we're attached to that we're interpreting reality is making it seem like it's a lot more crazy. Where is your gaze fixed? for what to prepare for and how to prepare your life. Are we listening to the voice of God? Or are we listening to the voice of the false prophets of this culture? The false prophets of news outlets and social media. The false prophets all around us. When we listen to the voices of this world, to the enemy's plans and vision, 
our interpretation of reality itself becomes clouded, confused, hopeless, which leads to the same place that Denethor ended up. Do we want to be like him? Don't be like Denethor. Don't be like Judas here, who his interpretation of of preparing was to exchange God for silver. Exchange God for his own interpretation of reality. So the day of preparation. When did they make preparations? So here, here's kind of, in, in a sense, we're getting into our nerdy part of, this, of the sermon. Um, so so um, when, you know, when did you know, they, they, they make preparations for the Passover? And what does this look like? Um, this is a, a kind of a, a confusing, can be a confusing um, delve into the scriptures. Um, and I'm try, I'll try to give a good um, overview of what I believe the scripture is saying and how to interpret it. Uh, so there's different different observations. So this could be like the day before um, the Passover, the day of, uh, you know, what, kind of where is the timeline? So did Jesus eat the Passover the day before or the evening of the Passover? Did he do it early or the day that the the rest of Jerusalem ate the Passover? Um, did, and so the, then, the, then therefore lies the question, did Jesus die at the time when the rest of the Passover lambs were being sacrificed uh, or did he, die, did he die the day after on, the, on a day of preparation for the Sabbath? Um, there's all sorts of different things in the law of how to prepare and do all sorts of different things. Um, but I hear, here's the thing. So either way, it can be powerful, but I personally think, uh, and this is through my perception and, and my interpretation over the years, that you know, and seeing other you know, seeing other gospel accounts, we need to uh, see other gospel accounts like Luke, this what's called the synoptic, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, through the lens of John. Um, <clears throat> theologically, because these ones, the, so the the synoptics are kind of loose in their description, uh, but John is pretty pretty specific. <laughs> And so I think we need to re- read and interpret um, the, the rest of the synoptics through that lens. So, uh, personally, I believe that he um, that uh, that they ate the Passover early, that they ate the Passover dinner the night before. And so, basically, like when it says the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, was, you know, had come. Um, what this is meaning is that it is the day it's it's come. Basically, like they're preparing for it. They're preparing for the day of preparation. Um, and so it's the day before, and so that, that evening, because their days start at sundown, and so it starts at sundown, and then the day that Jesus died on the cross was the day that they would actually sacrifice the Passover lamb, and that Jesus actually died at the same time as the, as the Passover lambs were being sacrificed in the temple court. Um, specifically because of, of passages like this in John, um, there's two specifically. So 18, John chapter 18, uh, when this is talking about how, when they brought Jesus before Pilate. Um, and so he said, um, so yeah, then they, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise they would have been defiled and unable to eat the Passover, which would have been that night, that later that, that next evening. 
<clears throat> because if they entered into a Gentile's home like this, they would have been unclean for several days. And so they would not have been able to eat the Passover, nor would they also you know, be able to um, observe the, the Sabbath as well. As well, Matthew 9, I'm sorry, John 19, um, verse 15, sorry, 14. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. So the, the, prep, the day of preparation was the day that Jesus was crucified. And so if we read the book of John, you know, the lens of of book of John, we can see that basically like, um, it's like the day before you go to, go to Disneyland. You know, when you're going to sleep, because the day of Disneyland has come upon us. Well, it's, it's the next day. It's saying that it's come and we're getting ready for it. And so basically the, so I believe that the day that the, that they ate, the Passover meal was the morning of the day of preparation. I'm sorry, the evening of the, the first part of the day. <laughs> because the first, their days start at sundown. Um, anyway, and so <clears throat> basically Jesus is saying, you know, look at, look at that, that verse here. Um, what do you say? Uh, in verse 15, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled. That's going to be next week we talk about. Uh, but this is getting in the context of, of when Passover was. He said, I really wanted to eat this Passover with y'all. And so they eat it early. Plus, they also does not mention a lamb being eaten at the Passover meal with Jesus because he would become the Passover lamb. There's no mention of eating meat anywhere. All, they, all it shows is the bread and the cup. That's all they ate. Um, and so they're in, and the typical meal for them would be to dip, you know, dip in different you know, cups and hummus and all sorts of different things, which you can still do today. Um, and so the lamb is not found in the, in the next session like we talked about because Jesus himself would become, like he said, would become our Passover lamb. And in order to become the Passover lamb, he had to die on Passover, on the day of, of, on the day of preparation, when all the rest of the lambs were slaughtered. Paul even says, our Passover lamb has been slaughtered. And he wouldn't have been able to call, be called that unless he died on the same day as all the rest of the Passover lambs. So, more dirty. Here we go. Guest room. Now, if you were here around Christmas two years ago, you'll, you'll recognize this. So this word kataluma um, means living room. So the disciples were preparing for a special and spiritual and powerful experience with their Lord and Savior, and their friend, Jesus. Um, and so they, they were looking for this man in order to find this. They are finding this, the, the living room. The, so the Cataluma uh, was the upstairs living quarters. Um, and so, so before I show what this means, so the detail seems seemingly kind of miraculous if you really look into it. Um, the way that they... Um, it was already prepared. It was already furnished. It was already prepared and ready to go. Like the disciples didn't even have to do much because it was already prepared. They went and found it. That's all they did. All they did was went and found it. Um, and this shows that Jesus was prepared. I think that when Jesus was, was there during Sukkot the, the year before, um, I think that Jesus went and talked to this man and said, hey, save this room for us for Passover. I will, will come and, and I'll send my disciples and, 
But the miraculous part is that the disciples found it exactly what they saw. Like They saw the dude carrying the water jar, which is usually not a man's responsibility. That's usually a woman's responsibility in their culture. And so seeing a man, like, oh, that looks interesting. So they followed him, and they found it exactly how, how, how it was. Um, and it's also a miracle because think about this. As we talked about in the last couple of weeks with the destruction of, of Jerusalem in AD 70, and why it was so successful that they killed so many was because there were well over a million people in Jerusalem during the time of, of, of Passover. I mean, it was packed. Like, there was times that you couldn't get a hotel room in Bozeman because there was like a, a, a sports tournament going on. Every single room was booked. My parents tried to book one. They're like, there's nothing available. There's all of like tournaments and stuff like that going on at MSU. It's like that, but even more. <laughs> all the Airbnbs are, are taken. All of the rooms are taken. All of the guest rooms are taken. But it shows that Jesus made preparations ahead of time. So this room, this living room, I kind of want to focus on this just for just a, for just a second. So if you remember this picture from, from Christmas a couple of years ago, so this is what a typical Israeli, you know, ancient Israeli home would have looked like. So this is the Kataluma up here. And so this could be one or two stories. As you can see, this one's got two, or it could also be like a rooftop as well. But the basement, the, the first floor on the ground level, this was dirt. They didn't, they didn't cover this. They didn't change it um, for the most part. This was where they would do all their cooking. This is where they would do all their meal prep. This is where they would do all their sewing or their, you know, the loom work, like making fabrics and materials, blankets, um, or, or fabrics for, for clothing. Um, but at night, they would bring in the livestock to protect them. And they had mangers. This is where Jesus was born because there was no room up here. There was no such thing as an inn. There was no hotels in Bethlehem. This was the guest room. This was the room where people would sleep and, and live when they didn't want to be down here in the dirt. <laughs> and when they brought the animals in, they would stay upstairs. It's the, the, the one character that's so traditional um, that everyone thinks exists but actually doesn't exist was who? The innkeeper. He's mentioned nowhere in Scripture. There's, there's no, there, was no, there was no person that said anything to them. There's no, there's no verbiage that says there's no room for them. In the, I'm sorry, there's no room for you. It just said they stayed in the, in the, this area because there was no room for them in the, in the Cataluma. Didn't actually ever mention a dude saying, you know, telling them this, telling them so. Most likely, this was full of family because they would stay within their family's homes. So in Bethlehem, Jesus was probably surrounded by his in-laws. I'm sorry, Mary, Mary was probably surrounded by her in-laws. And like, and, uh, and family because it was, they had to go to the, the, the place of the lineage of the father. So they went to Joseph's place of lineage. So he probably had like, you know, grandparents and uncle, aunt and uncles and all sorts of stuff there. So they probably had tons of help, you know, with the, with the birth. And then they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger down here because this was taken by everyone else. So it's interesting to see this dichotomy of the place that had no room for him is now the place that is receiving him and that he is observing and establishing his new covenant. That's like our lives. For all, for all of us, we had to come to faith in Jesus at some point. We had to come to a place of putting our faith and trust into Jesus. 
The place that had no room for God was now the cradle that would hold him. Is now the place that would welcome him and welcome his new covenant. Welcome his love. Welcome fellowship with him. Inviting Jesus into the core of our lives and Jesus inviting us to into him. This, this mystical union of Christ and us and, and us and Christ melded and meshed together. That's why this, the preparation of this is so beautiful to see this. And this is where we will, you know, as, as we will experience next Wednesday, that Jesus inaugurated his new covenant uh, before he would ratify it on the cross. He would write out and establish the verbiage of the covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body broken for you. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. They're probably sitting there going, what? What's this dude talking about? Did he stub his toe? Did he prick his finger? What happened? But he would ratify it. And what does ratify mean? He would notarize it. It's official. Now it goes into, into practice with his death on the cross. That he ratified the covenant that he established in the upper room on the cross. And then he would launch it at the resurrection. He would put the church, put the new covenant on display at the resurrection. Like a small business. You would go and you would establish a nonprofit organization. You'd establish your, your organization and then you would notarize it and you are now officially a nonprofit, but you haven't done anything yet. Now you launch the, the business. You launch the website. You launch the, the, you have a big, you launch party. And all of a sudden, it, it, take, you know, it takes off and momentum's going and, and, you're, and, and you're, your business is flourishing and going. And that's like, in essence, the, the, the covenant of the new covenant. Sorry, the, 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 um, the existence of the new covenant. He, he wrote the mission statement. He wrote the plan. He wrote the articles of incorporation. He stamped it. He ratified it with his blood on the cross. And then he launched it. And what did he launch? the church. He launched his covenant people, his new covenant people. He launched his love into this world through you, through us, his church, his bride. Jesus prepared. Jesus has prepared the way, the truth, and the life. This is the whole whole context. I mean, there's a whole lot going on here in in John chapter 13 and 14. But I mean, it's basically like in our passage today. It's you know, well, as we'll see next week, the the Lord's Supper is kind of a blip in Luke. He doesn't really go go into detail. He, you know, John spends like four chapters, so we're going to go through them one by one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so look at the end of 13. Uh, when he so he's all doing all these different things. He's washing his disciples' feet. Um, he's you know, predicting he's, you know, his betrayal in, in predicting Peter's denials. And then he says to the disciples in 14, he says this, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Put your faith in me. Buck up, buttercup. Believe in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. 
you know the, the way to where I'm going. Thomas is like, uh, we don't know where you're going. Can you tell us? Uh, can, you, can we know the way? Really? And <laughs> he's like, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know the Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If we've experienced Jesus, we have experienced the Father through the Holy Spirit. We have experienced the Trinity in our lives. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because if we've seen Jesus, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And if we've seen Jesus, it's the Father that we're seeing. It's the image of the Father. He's saying, where are you going? We want to go. Jesus is saying, oh, you know. But here's the interesting. He said, he, he didn't say one day you will know the true way, truth, and life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. Our journey and our destination are, at, are the same source and point. The Father. Eternal life with God in His kingdom. That's both the destination, the one day, the not yet, but it is also the already. It's also the already. It's the now. As Jesus even said, God isn't God of the dead, but, a God, but He is the God of the living. He is our God. Today. Now. We're in His kingdom now. And we'll be in it fully one day. But we forget that we're in His kingdom now. That we are living the way, the truth, and the life. Now. Today. And He's also preparing for us a place. He's preparing a place. Revelation 21 says, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And He will live with them. They will be His peoples. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He said, right now we, we see... Uh, dimly or, or in, unclearly as, as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. So we are both experiencing the already and the not yet. We don't prepare by getting our lives right. That's not the way. The way isn't necessarily a way of getting our lives right. Who gets our lives right? God does. God does the work. And God did the work 2,000 years ago on the cross. Forgave all of our sins. Here's what I love to always say about this. Think about that again. He forgave all of our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. (laughs) Ah, All unrighteousness. All of our sin was future to Jesus when he was dying on the cross. And Jesus' death on the cross accomplished salvation and forgiveness of all our sins and cleansing of all unrighteousness. And that is what we live in. We live in a state of forgiven. And we turn and thank him for that. So when we mess up and we do things we, and we, we do you know, have, have sin in our lives, there's sin in our minds... Wrong thinking, which turns into wrong action. We don't grovel before God and say, Oh, God, please forgive me. 
What do we do? We say, thank you, God. Oh my gosh, that, God, that was not who I am. That was, mm, you know, God, mm, you know I didn't want to do that. Or you know, <laughs> I did want to do that because I've been listening to the crystal ball. I've been listening to the darkness. I've been focusing on this. I've been filling my mind with sin. Because sin is just wrong thinking, remember? Hamartias means wrong, wrong thinking, which leads into wrong action. So we've been believing the wrong places. We've been tapping in to the wrong sources of truth and reality. And it manifests in wrong action. So that when we do, when we do things, we're like, oh, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you've already forgiven that. Please help me to walk in righteousness. Please help me send your spirit to show me the way, the truth, and the life. Change my mind, Lord. Remember Romans chapter 12? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Actually, the word is transfigured. It's the same word as Jesus on, you know, on the mountain. Be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Change your mind. Metanoia. Change your mind. Let go of the, of the ball. Let go of the culture. Let go of the, of the voices from all around us. And believe what God says. And you will walk in the way, truth, and the life. And the results of your life will be because you've tapped into Him, not the crystal ball of culture. We prepare the way our lives the same way as the one who is preparing eternal life for us. We prepare for eternity the same way we live our lives as a part of the already and the not yet. In the kingdom of God, and most importantly, in the presence of God. As it says in Hebrews 10, boldly coming before the throne of grace. There was a theologian that I listened to recently this weekend who said, you know, I did this whole word search on this because he was, he was an author of one of the Bibles. And he said, I did this whole word search on the word boldly. You know what it says? You know what it means? Boldly. It wasn't a mistranslation. Boldly. I've said this before, but it's it's worth reminding you. What does that mean? To boldly come before the throne of grace. It means to come with confidence, knowing that it's your rightful place. It's where you belong. And you don't have to fear for your life. It's the difference between Esther, who knew that coming before the king unannounced could get her killed, Oftentimes we treat our relationship with God that same way. Oh God, don't kill me. I want to come before your presence. Versus a son to his father. Like if my son ran through these doors and ran up here to the stage to give me a hug, I would drop down to one knee and give that kid a hug. And then say, okay, go down, go back downstairs. <laughs> but my son is welcome to me because it's his rightful place. He is a rightful heir in our family. And so are you. You are the rightful heir of the promises of God, of salvation. And he wants you to come into his presence through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Second Corinthians is a powerful scripture about this, about how does God prepare us for glory? Just read these words. I'm going to wrap up with this. 
Just listen to these words as Paul is saying, talking about preparation. For we know that in our, if our earthly tent, that's our bodies, we live in, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an earthly dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, this body, desiring to be put, to, and desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since when we were, since when we were clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this body, in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. We want to put, you know, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, you know, physically, that whole seeing Him, you know, indirectly. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each will may, re, may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are, what we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outwardly appearance rather than in the heart. For if we are out of our minds, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of God compels us, since we have reached this conclusion that once that the one, Jesus, died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, let we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, uh, or according to the flesh, according to this world. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new, the new, see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's our message to the world. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive the the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. See now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. That's their message. So both that they would understand who they are, whose they are. They would prepare for this life. We prepare for the, for in this life as we prepare for the life in the next. We live this life as though we've already attained that one. Not that we already have, but that is the goal. 
And so that's what's transforming our lives. That's what's changing and making us better, making us different, making us more and more alive every day. Like our, like our mandate says, fully alive. And what, is he, what has he said? We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is how we prepare in this time. We prepare for the life in the next world, in, in the next life, in, the, in, in eternity, for eternal life, by making sure that more are with us. We've been given that ministry of reconciliation to go out and to proclaim that message. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. It's actually better. You don't have to like enjoy life and then come to faith in Jesus on your deathbed. It's actually better to come to faith now because you'll live a better life. Because that life is better than this life. And we live our life this way because we're going to live life that way. And so we want to bring more and more people into that life into that eternal life, into the kingdom of God life, into the way, the truth, and the life. That's what God desires for us. He desires for us to prepare your life for glory. We prepare our lives for glory by living from the glory, from the presence of God. We don't live our lives from the presence of Sauron. We live our lives from taking hold of God's presence, of the Holy Spirit. Taking hold of our lives with Christ. We prepare for our life for glory through living glory every day. Because it is our rightful place and it is our rightful life. It is the way, the truth, and the life. Lord Jesus, we pray for this morning understanding of how you desire for each one of us to live our lives. How you desire for each one of us to engage, Lord. Engage in your presence, inviting your presence into our everyday. Our everyday planning, our everyday ebb and flow, every single morning and or evening, all the time, just praying all the time, Lord. As you say, pray unceasingly. We don't have to have to have just the one set time where we're praying with you, Lord. We can just be blissed out in your presence all day long, every day, living all of our lives from the glory of God, from your glory in our lives. Lord, show us your presence every day. Show us your desire to be with us. Show your show us your desire for us to be with you in your presence. To enjoy you and glorify you, Lord. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray you glorify your, yourself through our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.